morning, everybody. How's everybody doing? Everybody sleep well last night? I uh, know that I did, even though it was a late night. It was good once I got to sleep, so. Okay, let me pray for us and get started. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this morning and the time we've already had together. Lord, I am just thankful for our just us being able to be here together this weekend. Lord, I'm thankful for just already the wonderful conversations that have been had and the fellowship that we've been able to enjoy together. Lord, I just pray that you will bless um, this morning and help us as we are studying your word and diving into it together, um, that you will just open eyes, open hearts, um, help us to be um, just open and willing to receiving your word and spirit speaking to each of us. Lord, I pray that um, you will use me um, as I'm speaking this morning to just say what you need to say and that you will just um, guide my words um, to the ladies this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so last night uh, you guys kind of learned the initial parts of inductive Bible study. You learned about observations, right? So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to kind of take some of the observations. You guys have a lot. Um, so we obviously are not going to be able to cover all of that in one day. But normally what you would do at this point, you have gone through your observations, you've kind of made all your notes, you asked all your questions or written them down, you would then start diving into what do all those things mean. Okay, you'd start studying that. Obviously this weekend you guys can't do all of that in one weekend. So it's just too much. Um, so what, we're, what I'm going to do is we're going to go through um, kind of an introduction on Romans and answer as many of those questions as we can this morning. Now the reason we chose <coughs> Romans is that this fall and next spring, our women's Bible studies are going to study Romans. So I'm actually going to go ahead and pass out a few little... Um, actually, hand me one of them. Uh, so this... I'm just going to kind of give it to you now while I have the majority of people here. I'm handing you the plan for what we're going to be studying this fall. We've broken it out into all the different weeks, um, and all the groups are going to be meeting um, or studying the same thing at the same time through Romans. And so this lesson this morning is kind of the introduction also to that study. So... You know, you can imagine there are lots of ladies who are in our church who are not here this weekend, and so they um, could listen to this to get kind of that introduction lesson. So, okay. yes. We sign up for the study are live online. All right, so what we're going to do first is we put up here, this is one slide, some of the observations you guys had last night. So, and some of these are really great. Uh, you can see, like, um, that Paul was an apostle, Paul was a servant, Paul was wanting to impart a spiritual gift, he's, you know, that apostleship was promised beforehand, Paul is, you know, all these things, right, tons and tons of things that you guys observe in this passage, okay, you also had lots of questions that came out of that, so like, um, where and who are the other Gentiles mentioned, what is a spiritual gift? Uh, where is Paul currently? Why does he need to preach the gospel to the church if they're already a church? Who are the barbarians? Um, on and on, on and on. You guys have 
tons of questions about that you're able to glean from this passage just by reading it, right? And that is what I want to convey in these two slides is you guys on your own were able to produce what I would consider weeks worth of content that you could then dive into further and study on your own, right? You don't need someone else to observe a passage and tell you what is there and what you need to find out more information on, right? You are all incredibly competent, <coughs> knowledgeable women who have access to so much information, right? Now imagine a thousand years ago, they didn't have, well, I'm about to show you guys here in a minute, they didn't have giant study Bibles and commentaries and the internet where I can just type in, what is an apostle? And it's gonna tell, now is every one of those resources good? No, but we can kind of use our discernment to figure out, okay, let me, let me read through this, find some good sources. So what I want to encourage you guys with is last night, you took the first steps, if you've never done it before, of Bible study on your own without um, someone up here telling you, here's the five points of what we're going to study from this passage. You can kind of glean that yourself. So just kind of as a way of encouragement, your lists were amazing. It was so cool to read. And it was also cool to read, like, all of you had very similar lists because it's in the same passage, but there were some nuances in them that you could tell like certain people just gravitated more toward one thing. And, that, and that's the spirit leading, right? Where if you see a word that to you, it might be like, I need to go study that. Well, the other person is more focused on another word and that's fine, right? So that's all, all I have on, on that from last night. But, um, so let's jump into Romans. Why Romans? Why did we choose this book, um, there's lots of books in the Bibles that we could have chosen, but um, Romans, I think, has a very, um, often is a misconception that it's very academically inaccessible. So it's that it's very um, heady, right? That it's very like deep theological things. But what we're gonna find out is that Romans is actually extremely practical because Romans is telling you about the basics of what it means to have faith, right? And that is something that is extremely practical to every person in this room. And yes, there are parts of it that are, um, you have to kind of spend some time reading through, but like I said, that's the beauty of the time we live in. One, well one, you have the Holy Spirit in you and he will help you understand it. But two, you have access to so many resources that can help explain that to you in terms you might be able to digest a little easier. Um, but it is just such an amazingly deep and rich <coughs> book. Um, kind of to illustrate that, um, I saw online that Martin Lloyd-Jones, he was a the, uh, pastor at Westminster Chapel in London. He, over 11 years, did 372 individual sermons on just the book of Romans. It took him 11 years to preach through it. So, and he probably could have done more. <laughs> so it is, you know, just um, the, uh, on your um, sheet there of our Bible studies, there is a, uh, we're gonna get to this later, but there's a class that Reformed Theological Seminary has put out on it. And the guy teaching it 
he's going, he was going through the first like five verses and he's like, honestly, I probably could have preached on just the first couple of words, you know? And like, so it's just every part of Romans is so deep and so just rich with stuff that I think we as women are going to just get so much out of it. And with us trying to do this um, kind of inductive Bible study, it really is just a great book to do that inside of. So, so what we're going to do first is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you guys just the outline of Romans, the overarching, what is the entire book about? So the part that we are studying this weekend is verses, or chapter 1, verses 1 through 17, and that is Paul's introduction and his thesis. Okay? So it is kind of setting up, it's kind of introducing who is Paul, who is he writing to, and then it talks about, um, it, here's what my book is going to be about, here's what my letter is going to be about to you. Okay? Then the next section is Paul's case for justification by faith alone. We're going to find out here in a little bit that he is writing to a group of primarily Jewish converts, right? He, they were Jewish people, and they have now converted to Christianity. So he is having to kind of explain to them why faith comes, or why justification, salvation, comes by faith alone, that they don't have to do works. And so that is kind of in two different parts. One is that all are sinful, right? He has to convince, and, and let me tell you, by the time you get done with this section, you are going to realize you are way, way more sinful than you realize you are. Even if you think you're sinful now, reading this section, you're like, ooh, yeah, I'm way more sinful than I thought. Then, ju God justifies us by faith. So he's going to explain to us how sinful we are, and then explain how we would get justified. Alright, then the next section is, there's going to be some objections to that. Because if you're writing to a group of people who really have never heard this before, they're going to have some objections. So this next section is, Paul is answering those objections to justification by faith alone. So the first objection he receives, or he anticipates, he hasn't actually met these people, he anticipates, is does this mean I can live however I want? Right? We've all heard this before, like when you preach complete uh, grace, people's, sinful people's kind of first response is, oh, okay, well that means I can do whatever I want, right? And so he's explaining why that's not the case. Then it's, well, what does this mean about the role of God's law? Like, okay, because these are, remember, these are Jewish people. They have lived under that Mosaic law. And so they're like, okay, well, if I'm completely saved and you know and it's by faith alone do i still need to keep the law how does the law still play a role in my christian life then okay well then is my salvation certain can i lose it and then finally well what about the nation of israel you know if you're a jewish person and you've seen you know if you've been through my the covenant study we just did, or you've heard it, uh, there's a lot of promises given to Israel, and so these people want to know, okay, well, what about, what about all of that? It talks about Israel quite a bit. What, what happens to the nation of Israel? Well, how does this apply to them? 
still see people riding him. <laughs> I don't want to move too fast. <laughs> you, can, you can come get it later. Yes, yeah, 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 we can send this out later. So then the next section is um, exhortation applications. This is kind of the nitty gritty of how it actually applies. Um, so he talks about spiritual living, submission to authorities, and judging one another. Kind of goes through all three of those. And then fin finishes the book, um, kind of as you would any letter, with just kind of his personal uh, stuff and final greetings to them. Okay, so this is the overarching how the book is laid out and um, how his message is going to proceed through the entire book. Okay? So, the first question and the question that was on everybody's list was Paul is the author, right? I mean, who is Paul? <laughs> and uh, so we're going to go through this morning a little bit about who Paul is and why he is writing this letter. Okay, so Paul, um, as you guys saw in your thing last night, uh, the first thing it says is Paul is an apostle, right? So the natural question is what is an apostle, right? And so, um, well actually, sorry, we're gonna cover something else first. So Paul is a Pharisee, okay? So I don't know if you guys know what a Pharisee is, but a Pharisee was basically a religious leader in the Jewish community. And so the Pharisee was someone who um, upheld the laws and just really uh, made their life all about these laws. Okay? And so, and Paul was the best Pharisee there ever was. He was amazing at it. He so much was an amazing Pharisee that he killed Christians because they weren't following the law, right? And he, so like, you know, the, all the other Pharisees are here. He's like head and shoulders above these other Pharisees, right? He's the best one there is. So Paul, when he became uh, saved, when he met Christ on the road to Damascus, he is now, you've probably heard the phrase, he's literally a recovering Pharisee, right? He is now on the other side. He is one of the people that he used to kill when he was a Pharisee. He's now a Christian. And so he, if anyone, can write a book on going from one to the other and why it's important to be, to have faith or to have justification by faith alone, it is Paul. Because he is one of the closest people who could say, like, I was doing it right. You know, I was doing it well and I was still so far short of the standard that God had set. And he can see, like, and can preach from a place of, um, I know where you're coming at, Jew, and here's, I understand your objections, I understand where you're coming from, and here's the, re like, the answers to that. So he really is in that perfect place to write a book or a letter like this. Um, so if we look at chapter one, because we're basically just kind of at this point walking through. So, Paul, a servant of Christ, okay? So, that servant of Christ is really talking about his attitude toward um, just the gospel, toward Christ. He is a servant to it. 
And so uh, it's interesting that that phrase, servants of the Lord, is used a lot in Old Testament language. And so you can see here it's Moses, David, Joshua, all that. Why, why would you think that would be important? Think about his audience, who he's writing to. These are Jewish people. What was important to the Jewish people? The Pentateuch, right? And the, like, Abraham, Moses, all these. So he's, he's kind of connecting himself to that Old Testament historical reality and saying, like, I, I am in that, that realm here, you know? Like, this is what I'm talking about. I am a servant of Christ, servant of the Lord. Um, Vex called to be an apostle. Okay, what is an apostle? So this is him giving his authority. Why? Because these people, we're gonna we're gonna get to this a little bit. But these people don't know Paul. Okay, they have no idea who he is. They're just some church, and they're getting a letter from a random dude. Okay, named Paul. <laughs> why should they listen to anything in this letter? This is why. He is an apostle. He's called to be an apostle. So there's some qualifications that make someone an apostle. The first one is that they were picked by Jesus. Okay? Not anybody can be, if you weren't picked, you can't be an apostle. He was commissioned by Jesus. He was told to go and say in my name these things, right? He's called or told to go out and preach in Jesus' name. Third, you had to see the risen Lord. Right? Like, not just before he died. After he died and was raised, you had to see him in person. So Paul saw him on the road to Damascus. Paul was the last apostle that was uh, commissioned or called. And so all, and so all three of these, because there were lots of people, right, who saw the risen Lord, but they weren't uh, picked or commissioned, right? So you had to have all three. And these three things combined make you a spoke, like, the word I'm using here, spokesperson for Jesus. So when you read Paul's words, you should read them as though Jesus is telling you these words, right? Because Jesus picked him to say these words to us. And as Amy said last night, what we believe that scripture was breathed by God. So this is breathed by God. We should receive it as though Jesus is saying it to us. So he is telling the people in this letter, like establishing, like, you know, what is this? Six or seven words in, I'm an apostle. So listen to what I'm saying, because basically Jesus is saying this. Okay? Um, so Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. So this is talking about his purpose. What is Paul's purpose in life? It is to be set apart for the gospel of God. So what does that mean? Um, if you've ever read in the Old Testament, they talk about uh, the first fruits uh, of like a harvest or their animals or something like that. So whenever they would take a harvest, they would take like a percentage of that first bit and kind of set it aside. This is that same idea. Paul is setting aside, has been set aside for the gospel. He is saying... I am sacrificing, I am choosing to sacrifice my life to serve God. God is worth it. God is enough. God is worth my devotion, right? So he is um, spending his entire life serving the Lord and the gospel, right? 
So with just in this first little, like two lines, he is giving them his attitude, where he's coming from, his authority, and his purpose, kind of all wrapped up in this one little section. Um, so then, uh, we're going to get to genre in just a second, but one thing to note about Paul and his writing is he is a rabbit trail man, right? He, so it, if you're looking at the scripture here, verses 1 through 6, or verse 1 is like him saying who he is, and then he kind of, he says, it's like he says the words gospel of God, and he's just like, he gets so excited, he just has to talk about it for a little bit, and then he gets to verse 7, and he's like, oh, right, 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 oh, and I'm also writing to the Romans, right, but it's like, so, and he does this a lot, where it's like, he just, you know, you can, you can almost like feel how his brain is working, where he just like gets so overwhelmed by an idea, he has to write about it, and then all of a sudden he comes back, and he's like, oh, right, so sometimes the grammar in Paul's writing is a little wonky, right, but it's okay. It's cool. We get it, right? We can still read it and figure it out. But um, I just want, we're going to talk about some of this, but just know that you often have these little, like, uh, what's the right word? Qualifiers. Qualifiers of, like, you know, he's talking, and all of a sudden you're like, well, what are we talking about now? And then it, like, jumps back. So we're going to, we'll get there. Um, so. When you are studying scripture, it is really important to know what the genre of the book you are reading is. So there are, and Amy's going to cover this a little later, there are, I think, five different types, generally is what people say, of um, different genres of books. And this one, not surprisingly, is an epistle, right? And what's an epistle? It's just a fancy word for letter, right? So this is a letter that is being written by Paul to the church in Rome, right? So the thing to know with the letter is that every letter has a specific context in which it is being written, right? It has an author, which all of them have authors, but it has an author, and then it has a specific recipient that was receiving it. And there are oftentimes circumstances within that letter being written, right? So like in this particular case, Paul is writing to them, not only to introduce himself to them, but he would have known and heard about kind of through the Christian grapevine that maybe they're struggling with um, something or they're, they're having um, like Jewish converts that are struggling with this issue. And so he's like, okay, cool. I'm going to write about that because I know about that. There's other letters where you see very clearly like they are dealing with maybe church discipline issues or whatever the case may be. And he is writing very specifically to talk about that. And so it is helpful as you are studying to know kind of what those circumstances are. Because if you don't understand the circumstance and the context it's written in, you can accidentally take things out of context and use them in a way that they maybe, maybe weren't intended. So... Um, this, so I just want to point out that this is a letter, um, that's what the genre of this book is. So when was it written? When was Romans written? It was written approximately 56 to 57 AD, and this would have been, uh, during Paul's third missionary journey. And it was 
probably, most likely written in Corinth, which is uh, in Greece. I don't know that it was Greece at the time. I don't really know. But it's in Greece, Corinth. And so, uh, and I have a map here. I'm going to show you in a second. So basically, actually, let's go. So basically, you can see there where it says starting point. This is where he started. And kind of went all the way over. Corinth is kind of way over here on the side. Okay? So then, while he's in Corinth, his plan originally was to go from Corinth to Rome and then on to Spain. Well, while in Corinth, apparently, at some point, he had uh, gotten money for the church in Jerusalem. So Paul is like, okay, cool, I guess I'll take the money to Jerusalem and then go to Rome and Spain. <laughs> the part that I find funny is that you see where Jerusalem is? Way over there, underneath the word Palestine. <laughs> so he went from Corinth all the way back around over to Jerusalem, and then was going to go all the way back over to Rome and Spain. Seems like he could have found, my, my thought is like, was there no one else you could send over? But whatever. It's, apparently that's what the Lord wanted. But while he is in Rome, uh, he... And I'm sorry, while he is in Jerusalem, we're taking that money to the church, he is arrested in the temple. He is, um, then because he is a Roman citizen, he like says he wants to go to Rome for his trial. So he does eventually make it to Rome, but he arrives in chains rather than how he intends in this book. So while he is talking in this book about how eager he is to be there and all of this, it is many years later before he gets there and he arrives in a way he didn't intend. Right? He intended to be there uh, to preach and to meet with these people, and he arrived in prison. Um, you can read about all of this in Acts um, 15 to the end of the book, really, is kind of his third missionary journey, and then his um, arrest and all of it. On another point, when he is going, after he's been arrested, and he's going from Jerusalem to Rome, is also when he was shipwrecked for like three months or something on Crete, and like, it's, it's quite the interesting story um, of following his journey, and then like knowing, like to me it's so fascinating to think about that this is what was written during that time, and like knowing like, because when you read Acts, you're not getting all of this like internal dialogue but like reading Acts and knowing where the Book of Romans fits into that story it's just very cool because it like gives you an insight into what Paul is thinking, what he is, his desires are, what his prayers are, all of that. So it's just a cool read. Highly recommend. All right, the audience of the letter. The audience of the letter is, like we said, um, down in chapter or in verse seven. It is the church in Rome. And what's interesting is a lot of the letters that are written by Paul in. Uh, scripture, they are two churches that Paul planted. But the Church of Rome is not one of those. Paul did not plant this church, um, so he does not know these people. And most likely, what they believe is that this church was primarily made up of Jews that have heard the gospel and have now been converted. Now, there would be Gentiles in the church as well, for sure, but that primarily. There, this would be what the church is. And 
that means that they would have a lot of the same struggles that Paul is having because they are literally coming from the same context that Paul is, where he was a Jew and converted to Christianity and so would have a lot of those same issues with what does the law mean? What does, uh, what does it mean to be Jewish and a Christian? You know, because, you know, just because you become a Christian, Jew is a nationality. Like, it's not like you are no longer this as well. You are both. So what does that mean for these people? How do they reconcile both of those things? And so as much as Paul is the perfect person to write this letter because of his background, the Church of Rome is the perfect audience to receive this letter. They are like a match made in heaven here of like the author and the receiver of this exact message is what both of them could write and could receive perfectly. So, um, I and I put this last point on here, just the, uh, the reason I think they kind of think that this was mostly Jews in this church was because he is writing this letter, because the, the letter is so focused on these distinctions, like it just stands to reason that the church would have been made up of that. Because if this was a church completely made up of Gentiles, there would be really no reason for Paul to be like writing the way that he is to it. So it just is a, um, the, the reasoning, that's the reasoning there behind it. So let's look at um, how Paul kind of talks about the Roman church, okay? So let's look in verse 7. So to all those in Rome who are loved by God are, and called to be saints. So he kind of has three different things here. First of all, he tells them that they are loved. Right? They're loved by God. And it's interesting that this, you know, is not how anything to do with them. It's not anything to do with um, anything they've done. He's just kind of establishing that baseline. You are loved by God. Uh, you can read, you know, there in Ephesians 2, 1, 5, and Deuteronomy, it talks about these things. And so he is uh, pointing that out to them. And then they are called to be saints, right? And I thought this was interesting that they, uh, this verse in Romans 7, just, just further on, where it read it. Seven seventeen. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. You might be thinking, well what does that have to do with being a saint? The when you read this, the real part of you, when you when it says it is no longer I who do it. And with the it there that's talking about is sin, right? He's saying that I I do sin, but it is not my core that is my, my core is a saint. I am a saint. I still have my sin nature. I still sin, obviously. We all do. But that is what he's referring to here when he says saint, right? He is talking about the eternal reality that you are holy and set apart, right? You still sin, you still have a sin nature, but the real part of you, once you have been saved, the real part of you is now a saint. You have been called. It's also that where God is drawing you to himself 
as well, okay? So it's just, I think, just crystallizing for, even just in this very beginning, before he gets to any of the, like, more detailed stuff, he's from the beginning kind of planting those seeds of faith alone, grace alone. You have been called. You are loved. Not, you know, that God loved you because you're able to follow the law so well. You're so good at it. You follow rules so well. No. God loves you and he called you and you are a saint. Right? These are all things that are like happening to us. There's not a single word here where he's describing the Romans from their perspective, right? You know, he's not saying like, I mean, he does talk about some of the things they're doing, but it's all based around this gospel and around kind of what God has done for them, right? Okay, I think that's all my notes, but now we're just going to kind of, we're just going to read this and talk through it together, okay? All right, so let's start. So we did kind of verse one. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scripture. So what is it that it's referring to? What is it saying? So it's saying he was set apart for the gospel of God, which he, God, promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scripture. Okay, so it's kind of promising, showing this gospel has been prophesied from old. So remember, anytime you think of, anytime you hear, especially in the book of Romans, where he's talking about prophets and prophesying and before and of old and all of that, think he's connecting what's happening now to the historical prophets and covenants and all of that, right? So he's kind of making that bridge between the two. Uh, concerning his son. So what is concerning his son? The gospel, which was talked about beforehand, prophesied by all of it. Okay, so it's concerning his son, who was a descendant from David. Ding, ding, ding. Also, anytime you hear the word David, Moses, Abraham, your brain should immediately go, covenant. <laughs> like, which one? Okay, so this is a fulfillment. So he's saying this son who came is a fulfillment of the covenant, the Davidic covenant, specifically that we're talking about here. But if you've listened to my, my stuff, I'm going to keep plugging it because you, you should go listen to it if you haven't. The, what we learned is that, yes, the covenants are separate. And so like this is a specific fulfillment of that covenant, but the covenants all build upon one another. So it's not just saying it just fulfilled, Christ coming just fulfilled the Davidic covenant. It's saying Christ is the fulfillment of all the covenants, right? He is the fulfillment of it. So, okay, so we're, we're talking about he's set apart for the gospel, which is promised beforehand, and that gospel concerns his son, who is the descendant of David, according to the flesh, and was declared to be the son of God in power, According to the spirit of holiness. So he's, you know, talking about the God, Christ, came in flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power. But what gave Christ the power there? By his resurrection from the dead. 
So it's saying Christ is kind of being declared in power by the resurrection of his, from his death, right? Um, through who we have received. So now, okay, it's taking it. So now it's saying all of that. Okay, so I have the gospel that came basically through Jesus. Now it's kind of turns towards us. Through whom, Jesus, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. So he's saying we have received, through Christ's death, grace and apostleship. So he's saying, like, this is how, what, what gives even Paul the power to say anything and to preach and to do any of this is through Christ and his death, right? So we can then, uh, where is it going? I lost my place. Um, bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nations. So we're taking it out among the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. And so he's kind of, you can see where he is not even, like he's not really even making a point here other than just going from himself and it's almost like a, a tier, a step down tier kind of thing of like, I here's me, here's my authority, here's my power. Oh, which by the way, my power comes from the gospel, which the gospel gets its power because Christ died. And then when Christ died, it, you know, gives us all this power to go and proclaim it to the nations. You know, so it's kind of this where he's just, you can almost feel the excitement there he has for it. Okay. And then he gets to the end of six and it's like, oh, right. I haven't told you who I'm writing to. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and are called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So that whole section, as packed with information as it is, is just his, like, dear Sally. <laughs> right? Like, it is just the introduction to it. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I know we are doing uh, through verse 17, but um, what we're going to do is we're going to take a little break, um, and then... We're going to have you guys do some of the um, interpretation application, which Amy's going to talk to you about, on that section. Because if I stand here and I talk to you about it, I'm going to ruin all the surprise for you. So, <laughs> um, And then tonight, our last session, I'm going to teach through, um, the, through 17. So we'll kind of bring it all together with what you guys learn and uh, all the rest of it. Before I turn it over, though, to break, I did want to just go over a couple. Amy's got some more book recommendations, but there's a couple of things I wanted to recommend that I personally use. Um, two of the biggest things that I use for Bible study are the ESV Study Bible and the uh, ESV Gospel uh, Transformation Bible. They are, I'd say mine are, they're both leather, so they don't really look any different, but you're welcome to look through them if you would like. The ESV Study Bible is phenomenal if you've never had it. I mean, there, there's all study Bibles are, or not all study Bibles, but lo there's lots of study Bibles out there that are great. I just love the ESV one. And as much as I love it, my new favorite is the Gospel Transformation Bible. 
Well, let me tell you, you guys, this, this Bible is fantastic because in every passage throughout this Bible, there is a, there's a little section that tells you how does this passage relate to the gospel. And it's so great. Like, I can't even describe how amazing and wonderful it is because there are parts of scripture that you will read that you're just like, it's not necessarily that I don't think about how it relates to the gospel, but like you read it and you're just like, it is just, it like blows my brain of, I never thought about it like that. Or especially, and what's great about the ESV is that it's very covenantal. And so it is just very much in line with what we believe. And so you can read it and just really take it to heart exactly the way it is. It doesn't require much, uh, like, yeah, uh, discernment of like, <laughs> is this what I believe? You can kind of just, or at least... I can just take it and run with it, you know? And um, so highly recommend the Gospel Transformation Bible. The other, the part of these, though, that I would definitely recommend is Crossway. If you have the ESV app on your phone or your iPad or something or online, they have a subscription that for $2.99 you can sign up and you get access to all of these Bibles plus all their other study Bibles plus all their commentaries and all of their, like, uh, Bible studies and stuff like that. It's phenomenal. I love it. I literally use it on a daily basis. Um, it's so great. And it's, you know, it gives you access to so much that we're not having to buy. Because I mean, these Bibles are expensive. You know, like, it's not cheap to buy these study Bibles. So it just gives you access. And there's like an archaeological study Bible. There's like a, I don't know, there's like 15 in there. I don't even, I haven't even looked at all of them yet. Um, highly recommend that. Um, and then the other, the only other thing I wanted to recommend is, um, on my phone, I, the way I access it is through, it's called Olive Tree, like, Bible study app, and they have, that's where I have my, it's a Strong's, um, Bible, basically, like, number, Strong's number Bible, and it is, uh, when you click on any word in the Bible, you can click on it, and you can get the Greek and Hebrew word. And if, if Bible study is something that you are looking to do, getting to those Greek and Hebrew words is just so helpful because sometimes a word can have multiple meanings and you want to know, well, what was the Greek word used here? Like, which version of this word are they talking about? And that's just a really easy way to do that. I'm sure there are lots of um, other ways online you can get to the Strong's number Bibles. That's just the way I do it. But so I would highly recommend that as well. Um, so last thing, I just want to go over a little more in depth about our Bible study this fall. Okay? So the Bible studies this fall, they meet on Tuesday nights currently. We only have two. Uh, there's one that meets at my house, and then there's one that meets at Carrie LaRue's house in somewhere east in Hermitage. Uh, Amy is the one that leads that study. And if you would like a study at a different time... I am happy to start a new one. I just need you to tell me you want another time and then be willing to, like, host it or, like, manage it. Because <laughs> Amy and I both work during the day, so a day one is just kind of out for us to manage during the day. But what we are going to do is we're not, we don't have a specific, like, Bible study book we're going to be using. Okay? The 
So I've given you the, the references here, and what we're going to do for each one is, at a bare minimum, what I ask is you read the scripture, right? Read it a couple times. If you are able and you have time to do some observations and interpretation, reading maybe a commentary or reading whatever, that's awesome. That will just enhance our Bible study time. But this, uh, what is it, class that I've listed here by uh, Michael Kruger, that's kind of going to be also a kind of a guide for us. When you go to this website, he has, basically this was a women's Bible study that RTS put on a few years ago, and I've been listening through it. It's fantastic. I love it. Basically, each week is two lessons that he taught. So we meet the first and third Tuesdays per month, so you're basically listening to one lesson a week from him. And they're also, when you go to this website, there is a study guide you can download that has all of his notes. It has questions and things like that that you can, we can talk through as well. So I do have some other, like this, uh, the Romans commentary by Charles Hodge. If you really want to get into it, that it's a great commentary. I highly recommend it. Um, so you could kind of be involved at the level that you can. If all you can do is read the passage and show up and talk about it, please come. Like, that's enough. You don't have to be, like, completely well-versed in everything every week to enjoy it and to glean something from it, right? So, uh, yeah, please come ask me or any questions about it. You can see the first one is August 16th, which is just in a couple weeks. I think it's not this week, but the next week. So we are going to start kind of right away um, with this. So, um, and what time does yours meet? Mine starts at 7 o'clock, 7 o'clock in my house, and I am near the church, so I'm about nine minutes from church. Five thirty is what theirs is. Five to five thirty. Five. Five. Right. Right. Please come let us know. Like Michelle said earlier, the signups are online for that. You also can just come talk to us. It's fine as well. Um, and also, my other encouragement here is please invite your friends, okay? We have so many women in our church, and I get it. Life is busy and life is hard, but this stuff is important, you know? And if you guys have friends who, you know, are talking about they want to get more involved, this is how they do it coming to these Bible studies, coming to women's retreat, like, you know, it's a sacrifice and it does take time, but you can't get connected and involved without this kind of stuff. So I would just highly encourage you to talk to your friends about it, invite them, encourage them to come, come yourselves, you know, and even if you can't be there every week, come when you can, it's fine. Like <laughs> you, it's scripture. You will glean something from it whenever you can make it. So, all right, let me pray for us. And then we're going to have a 15 minute break. And then we're going to come back. Come back. Okay. Josh, Josh, come back. Recommendations first. Yeah. Okay. All right. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this morning, our time together. Lord, just um, be with us as we go, that we will 
um, as these ladies are kind of diving into the scripture on their own um, in this next session, that you will just um, give them clarity of thought, give them um, clear um, ideas, and that you will just work in them to help give them um, clarity and interpretation and just wisdom as they are reading the scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen.